This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you, and I wish you a happy Trinity Sunday, the day that we celebrate our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As you know, I've been speaking the past several weeks about the Holy Spirit, and I want to bring these reflections to a close today, but it's appropriate that I do so on the Feast of the Trinity. Because the Holy Spirit, as I've often said, is the love between the Father and the Son. The Father looks at the Son, the Son looks back at the Father, and they sigh, they breathe forth their mutual love. That love is the Holy Spirit. And so when we live as Christians a spiritual life, what we're living is the life shared by the Father and the Son. We live in the Holy Spirit. So it's appropriate that we say just a bit more about this very important theme of the Spirit. A few weeks ago, we looked at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and there we found a description of the offices inspired by the Holy Spirit. Some are apostles, some are evangelists, some are pastors, teachers, etc. Then last week, on the great Feast of Pentecost, we looked, appropriately enough, at what Paul calls the sign gifts, these more amazing and spectacular manifestations of the life of the Spirit. Prophecies, words of knowledge, healing, miracles, the speaking in tongues. And I suggested, though these are relatively rare in the life of the church, we should be open to them as they show themselves. Today, as I close these reflections on the Spirit, I want to look at what I think is the most important text. You'll find it in the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Here he speaks of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now before I get to what these fruits of the Spirit are, why do I say this is the most important? Well, look, not everybody is called to be an evangelist or an apostle or a prophet. Some are. Some are given those offices. Obviously, not everybody is given the gift of speaking in tongues or performing miracles and healing. But everybody who lives in the Spirit is called to bear fruit, is called to manifest these fruits of the Holy Spirit. In some ways, these are the most basic manifestations of what it means to live the divine life. Just a word about fruit it's a biblical word that pops up often. Jesus says, a bad tree gives rise to bad fruit. A good tree is known by the good fruit that it produces. He also says in John's Gospel, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me. See, I love that organic language. It runs all through the Bible. Jesus is not simply somebody we admire. He's someone in whom we live, in whose life we are planted, onto whose vine we are grafted. There's something very 
tight and close and organic about our relationship. We bear fruit in the measure that we are rooted in Him. Think even of the image I've often spoken of. The church is a body. Christ is the head. We are the members of His body, organically connected. Or how about this from the very first psalm? I love this. The just man, the psalmist says, is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in due season, and its leaf does not wither. Terrific. Think for these people, the biblical authors who were close to the earth. They were planters and farmers and so on. This image of the tree planted by the flowing stream so its roots can go into it, and there it can be nourished year after year. So you the psalmist is saying, must be planted in the Spirit of God. If you are, Paul says in Galatians, you will bear fruit. So what are these fruits of the Holy Spirit, the signs that you're in God's life? He enumerates them in the fifth chapter. They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I've urged Christians over the years to memorize these. Put them on your computer as the screensaver. Put them up on your bulletin board. Put them on your refrigerator. These are the signs, the clear, unambiguous signs that you are living the life of God. I've often told people here at the seminary who are in the discernment business, You know, trying to discern, what does God want me to do? What path ought I to walk? I will say to them, go to the fifth chapter of Paul to the Galatians. Look at these fruits of the Holy Spirit. When you are in the seminary, when you're contemplating priesthood, do you feel that in your life there's more love, there's more joy, there's more peace, patience, goodness, etc.? Most likely you're on God's path. What job should I take? What path should I walk? Well, look at these fruits of the Holy Spirit. Have these things come to life in you when you walk a certain path. That's a terrifically important sign. Today I'll have time just to look at three of them. The three I think are the most important, the first three. Love, joy, and peace. The clearest sign. Christians, now listen to me the clearest sign that you are living in the Holy Spirit is that you are a person of love. Why? Well, it's very clear. It's very simple. That's what the Spirit is. The Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. God is love. Therefore, to live his life is to live in love, period. Paul stated it as clearly as possible in 1 Corinthians. We all know the passage well. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to move the mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. This is terrifically important. What's Paul enumerating? The things I've been talking about the last couple of weeks. You're a prophet, you're an evangelist, you're a teacher. You have the gift of tongues, you have the gift of prophecy. Good! 
all those can be manifestations of the Spirit. But what? If they are not animated by and fed by love, they're nothing. Think of love as the pure white light that shines through a prism, and the prism breaks the light up into its component colors. Prophecy, apostleship, speaking in tongues, being a pastor, performing miracles, all of those are manifestations of the Spirit. They're like the different colors coming out of the prism. But the white light that matters, the white light is love, the love of God. That's what animates everything. Commit that passage to memory, if you have a chance. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is the elemental fact. Okay, you say, good, but what is love? Let me say it as simply as I can, and I'll quote Thomas Aquinas. Love is willing the good of another. It's not a sentiment, primarily, though it can be accompanied by sentiment. It's not a feeling, primarily, though it can be accompanied by feeling. Love is an act of the will that says, I want your good. Not mine through you. Not mine indirectly. I'm not trying to draw you into my world, but I choose what is good for you. That is the act of love. Love is always an act of ecstasy, of stepping out of oneself. What's the greatest test of love? And it's so clear in the Gospels. The greatest test of love is the love of one's enemy. Why? Because the enemy doesn't love you in return. You get nothing out of him or her. You're not caught in an economy of exchange. I will love you so that you might love me. No, when you love your enemy, now you're truly expressing love at its purest because you can't get something in return. To live Christians consistently that way is to live in love. I know it's terrifically difficult. It's the sign that we've been grasped by the Holy Spirit. What's the second great fruit of the Spirit? Joy, says Paul. You know, when the Queen of England is in Buckingham Palace, they fly the British flag over the palace. It's the sign that she's there. Somebody once said, the flag that's flown over the castle of a Christian life to show that the king is home is the flag of joy. I've always liked that. How do you know the king, Christ, is living in somebody. They are marked by joy. Something I found in my life, that holy people are joyful people. There's a sense of fun around holy people. I found a lot of laughter around authentically holy people. Jesus says the night before he dies, I have said all this to you, my disciples, that you might have joy and have it to the full. You wouldn't spontaneously think of that, maybe. The religious life, well, I suppose it's about duty. It's about obligation. It's about doing various... Well, yeah, it is about all that, but for the purpose of joy. What God wants is for us to feel what he feels. Thomas Aquinas once was asked, what does God do all day? Thomas responded, he enjoys himself. It's a great answer. He enjoys himself. God exults in his own beauty and goodness, and so he wants to share that joy with us.
Notice, please, when I say joy, I don't mean a fleeting, passing sense of emotional contentment. A lot of the saints went through their life without much emotional contentment. Many of them were terribly persecuted, hemmed in, critiqued. Many were put to death. So when I say joy, I don't mean emotional contentment. I mean this much deeper and abiding sense that I am participating in the very beauty and truth and goodness of God. And listen, when that spirit is in you, nobody or nothing can take it from you, even the worst persecution, even the worst suffering. Joy is the sign that you're rooted in God. Just the last one now in the last couple minutes. The third fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace. Peace, you know, is one of Jesus' favorite words. Shalom. It's what he said to his disciples when he returned from the dead. He said to them, Shalom, peace. Among the Arabs, you'll hear the word Salam. It's the same root. Even Jerusalem, that's the city of peace. Ironic now, of course, where it's anything but the city of peace. But as a sort of eschatological symbol, it is. It's the symbol, the city of peace. W.H. Auden, the British poet, famously referred to our time as the age of anxiety. The age of anxiety. We are hemmed in by lots of worries, a lack of peace. What Jesus offers to us, what the Spirit of God offers to us is peace. What does it mean? It means an ordering of the soul. God's love, Christ is the center of my life, and now everything else in my life, my mind, my will, my imagination, everything in me, finds its order around that center. And then I can say with that Quaker hymn, no storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock I'm clinging. Doesn't mean I, I won't experience persecution. I won't experience pain. Of course I will. But the peace that the Holy Spirit gives is the peace of an ordered soul, ordered around the center, which is God. Christians, let the Spirit come to life in you. Be a person of love, of joy, of peace. Someone living God's own life. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.